Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Please open with me in your Bibles. We'll begin by reading our text, which comes from Romans chapter 8. We'll read the first few verses. We're going to go through chapter 11 today, but we'll begin by reading the first four verses. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is living, that it is truth, and Lord, that we get to uh, consider how it applies to our lives and the difference that it makes. Lord, this morning I pray that truly we would see the glory of the gospel, our hearts would be stirred, our affections would be stirred towards you, Jesus, that we would understand how great you are, what a wonderful Savior you, you are, and what that means and how it changes our lives, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word drudgery? Like, yeah, that's right, outdoor service, and I'm starting with drudgery. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word drudgery? In case you're curious, drudgery is defined by the dictionary as dull, frustrating, tiresome work, uninspiring, menial labor. Have you ever had a job that felt like that, uninspiring, menial labor? Or maybe you felt that way in school. It just feels like drudgery, like you're tired, you're frustrated, you're putting in a ton of effort, but it feels like you're not getting anywhere. You're not making any progress. You know, drudgery, it's the reason why most people uh, never succeed in learning a second language. It's the reason why many of us fall short of meeting our New Year's resolutions, because we like the idea of doing things. It's just in the midst of them, sometimes it feels like drudgery, right? Like a lot of work. And not a lot of progress, not a lot of payoff. And it reminds me of a a few years ago, several years ago now, I remember that a friend of mine got her first car. And it was a Honda Civic with a manual transmission. Now, she had never driven a manual transmission before that. But, you know, she understood, you know, the basics, right? You push in the clutch, put it in gear, let it out, and, and you should be good to go. And so I asked her after I saw her, it's like, so how's the new car? Are you loving it? And she was like, well, actually, no, I'm not loving it because it seems that something's not working right with it. Like, I don't know what the problem is. I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing everything right, but uh, I know like how a stick shift works in theory. But whenever I get in the car and I start to go anywhere, I just stall out like all the time. I'm just always stalling out. And even when I get going, I can never seem to pick up any speed or get any momentum. And she said, honestly, it's just so frustrating. I just want to cry. And so me and some friends were there and we said, okay, well, why don't you take us for a drive and we'll see, you know, maybe we can diagnose what the issue is. And so, so we all got in the car, like five of us, right? And so she starts up the car, puts it in first gear, and then she stalled it out like five times. And she literally started to cry right there. And, you know, we're all giving her advice, you know, which is just frustrating her all the more. Like, we're like, you got to give it more gas. You got to let the clutch out slower. And she's getting so frustrated. She starts to cry. And it was around that time that someone else in the car said, hey, are you going to take your parking brake off? Because that might help. See, she had been driving this whole time with the parking brake on. 
And of course she could never get any momentum. Of course she was always stalling out. And even when she did go, get going, it felt like drudgery to drive that car. She could never get any momentum. And for some people, maybe that's how you feel when it comes to Christianity. You're trying to follow Jesus. You're doing your best. You feel like you're doing all the right things, but you just feel like you keep stalling out. Like you're not making any progress. And sometimes it feels like dull, frustrating, tiresome work and uninspiring, menial labor. Drudgery. Well, that's exactly how Paul the Apostle felt when he was writing Romans chapter 7. That We've been studying through the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, on Sunday mornings here at Whitefields. And last Sunday, we studied Romans chapter 7. And chapter 7 is when Paul talks about his struggle with sin. His ongoing struggle with the way that he knows that he should be and the way that he actually is. Right, The way that he wants to be, but the way that he ends up living. And he says, I, I feel like I'm just stuck. I'm not making progress. I want to please God. I want to do the right thing, but I just keep falling and messing up and failing and, and falling back into the same old things. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Some of you, Christianity feels like drudgery, like driving a car with the parking brake pulled, like you just keep stalling out and you're not getting anywhere. Well, here in Romans chapter 8, we are given a principle, which if you latch on to it, it will transform your experience of Christianity. It will transform it from a drudgery into a joy. This principle is found in verse 1, but it's repeated five times in just these first 11 verses. Five times in 11 verses. And that is this phrase, in Christ. So we're going to talk about what that means. What does it mean to be in Christ? And th notice this is what verse 1 says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about what that means and why it's so important and what a difference it makes. So three big things that this section deals with. Here's your outline. Number one, why is the gospel such good news? That's what we're going to talk about first. Why is the gospel such good news? Number two, what difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? So what difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? And third, we're going to talk about the caveat. There's a caveat here, and we're going to talk about what that is before we're done. So number one, why is the gospel such good news? So the word gospel literally means good news. But it doesn't just mean like good news in a general sense. It means a proclamation of something good that has been done. Something that you're just reporting the news. Hey, here's the news. Here's what happened. It's a proclamation of something that has happened, something that has been done, something that has taken place and been accomplished. In verse 3, it's stated very clearly. I love what it says. For God has done what we could not do. That's the gospel. God has done what we could not do because of our weakness. See, this is why the gospel is such good news, because it's the message that God has come and he has done something for you, which you are unable to do for yourself. Look at what it says there in the rest of verse 3. For God has done uh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What, what's he talking about here? The law refers to God's standard of right and wrong, right? God's standard of right and wrong. Now, many of the people, many people in the world today have this assumption. The assumption is that God will accept me because I'm a pretty good person. I mean, sure, I'm not perfect because nobody's perfect, but hey, I do my best and therefore God will see that and he'll accept me. The problem is, and that's what we've seen here in the book of Romans, is that God has a perfect standard and we have fallen short of that standard. None of us have lived up to God's standards. And if we're honest, we have to admit that not only have we not lived up to God's standards, we haven't even lived up to our own standards. Like if we were to list out like what do we think is the way that somebody should live? What are the standards of right and wrong? What we would find is that we haven't even lived up to our own standards, much less God's standards. And so 
If we want to come to God based on our own merits, based on our own record, we will always come up short. See, there's a gap between who you are and who you know that you should be. There's a gap. You might even call it a chasm between you and God, between the you that you know that you should be, that God wants you to be, and the you who you actually are in practice. And the more you think about it, the more you realize how wide and how deep this chasm is between you and God. And maybe you've been to the Royal Gorge here in Colorado, or maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a big uh, long jumper, but some people are really good at jumping, right? Like they can jump really far. Well, maybe you can jump really far. Maybe you're a great jumper. Maybe you can jump farther than anybody that you know. Maybe you even hold the school record for jumping farther than anybody in your school has ever jumped. Now, maybe you're the best jumper in the world, but nobody's able to jump that far, right? Like you may be able to jump farther than other people, but that chasm is too big. You're not going to be able to jump across that thing. Now, here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that what you could not do, God has done for you. That's the good news. What you could not do, God has done for you. He bridged the gap. He spanned the gap. He himself, he became the bridge which spans the gap so that you could be united with him. Now check out what it says from verse 3 into verse 4. For God has done what the law could not do by sending his son. That's how he did it. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Did you catch that phrase? In us. These two phrases are absolutely key here in Romans chapter 8. Number one, the phrase in Christ, and number two, the phrase in us. So in Christ and in us. If we are in Christ, then the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us. Notice that it doesn't say that God's righteous requirements have been fulfilled by us. No, it says that they've been fulfilled in us. See, we, each of us, we have fallen short of God's righteous requirement. But Jesus, he came And he fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements. And and he took his record, his achievements, his right standing with God, and he gave it to us as a gift. That is the gospel. So imagine like a report card or or like if you took a big test in school. And, And you and me, right, we take that test or we get our report card and we get a failing grade. But Jesus, he takes that test, he gets a report card, and it's a perfect score. And so what he does essentially is he takes your test or your report card, and then he takes his own, and he scratches out the names on both of them, and he switches the names. He hands you back his perfect score, and he takes your failing score. And all the repercussions of, his, of your failing score, he says, I'll take them all on myself, whatever they may be. And you get to experience all the benefits of his perfect score. You get to enjoy those. And so... When God looks at you, this is the cool thing about the gospel. When God looks at you, he sees that perfect report card. He sees Jesus' performance and not yours. And his performance, his record, is perfect. So we read in verse 1, There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. That word condemnation is a legal term. So come with me in your minds, if you will. Let's imagine a court scene, a legal scene. Now we've all seen lots of movies and TV, like we've watched Law and Order and we've watched John Grisham movies, right? And so we, we know what a court scene is like. But here's the difference. In this court scene, you're not just an outside observer you're actually the one who's on trial, right? Like you're the one who has been charged with a crime. And so, so the prosecutor brings the charge, you broke the law. 
you failed to live up to this perfect standard. You did things that you shouldn't have done, and there are other things that you should have done, and you knew you should have done them, but you didn't do them anyway. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Beset Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. So what's your defense? You say, well, okay, I've got a great defense. Here's my defense. Well, first of all, I'm a really decent person. Like, I'm a pretty nice person. I, I do a lot of great things. I have a great heart, and I help people. Now, you can hear as you say that, the, the people in the courtroom start to kind of chuckle a little bit as you say that. But the judge, you know, he's nice, and he's patient, and he doesn't laugh at you. He just says, Hey, look, I mean, we're dealing with the law here. I mean, uh, you might be a nice person. You might have a great heart. But the fact is that you broke the law. That's what we're here to talk about today. And you say, okay, well, okay, well, I've got another defense. You know, there are a lot of other people out there who are a lot worse than me, right? Like, they've done worse things than I have. I haven't done that many bad things. And the judge says, yeah, well, those people are guilty too, and so are you. And you're like, oh, dang, well, that was all I had. I mean, I had those two points, and that's it. Well, I guess just let me have it. Just tell me what you're going to do to me. And it's right about that point that your defense attorney steps up to you and says, whispers in your ear, hey, maybe you should let me do the talking right now. I think I'm going to take over. And you say, all right, well, whatever, because I got nothing. And so your defense attorney stands up and he asks to approach the bench. And as he goes up to the bench, he says, hey, dad, you know, and you're like, what, dad? This is like nepotism or something like the judge is his dad. And your defense attorney says, look, obviously my client is guilty. Um, but if it's okay with you, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do a little trade, like a swap, right? Like I'll trade places with him. He can take my place as a not guilty person and I'll take his place as a guilty person and, and I'll just take the judgment that you were going to give him. And the judge says, done, slams down the gavel, done. See, that's what it means to be justified. This word justified, also a legal term. It means a pronouncement of righteousness, a pronouncement that you are no longer condemned because of what Jesus did for you, because he took it on your behalf. He fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements, the only person in history to ever do so, and he gives that record to you as a gift. And so when God logs into his computer, right, and pulls up your account, your record, it says paid in full. When he pulls up your record on his computer, right, it says perfect record. Did you do that? No, you didn't do that. Jesus did that, and he gave it to you as a gift. And so what that means is that the righteous requirements of the law, they haven't been fulfilled by you, but they've been fulfilled by Jesus in you. They've been fulfilled in you. And so if you are in Christ, verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that phrase, in Christ, here's what it means. It means two things. 
He is in you and you are in him. So you are in him and he is in you. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, here's the incredible thing. Try and wrap your minds around this. He now dwells within you. Look at verse 10. It actually says that. It says, but if Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But here's the cool thing. Not only is Christ in you, but you are in him. But what, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean? Well, check out, I like how it says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, For you have died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's what that means. It means that when you become a Christian, you get a new start, right? Like, the old you is as good as dead, and the new you is hidden in Christ. Well, you say, well, why, why is that good? Why do I need to be hidden in Christ? And here's why. Because when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he doesn't see you and your flaws. He sees Jesus and his perfection because you are hidden in Christ. Now think about it like this. Some of you are here this morning, and before you got here, you did some things that you shouldn't have done. You, you know what I'm talking about. You did some things that you shouldn't have done. Some of you, you stopped off for donuts. They have drive-through donuts now. Can you believe that? Like, that's the last thing we need. Okay, so some of you stopped, and you, you got donuts. Do you know what are in those things? Like, nothing good. Others of you, you went to McDonald's. I know you don't have to raise your hand. Just keep it to yourself. We don't want to know. Some of you went beyond that, and you just stuffed your face full of breakfast burritos. Do you know what's in those things? I mean, come on, nothing good. Carbohydrates, added sugar, high fructose corn syrup, gluten. You know what that is? Gluten? I don't know, but it's really bad. Processed meats, nitrates. I'm not sure what they are, but I don't want them. Empty calories. Also, most of you, I see you doing it right now. You consumed some sort of stimulant this morning, right? Coffee, tea, and you can't even drink it by itself. You got to put something in it. You got to put in that like fake cream stuff. That's not good. You put in sugar, Sugar's a poison. Haven't you been watching Netflix? Right? Like, do you know how bad this stuff is? It is sinfully bad. That's how bad it is. I, I'm upset just thinking about it. But you know what? As I stand here right now and I look at you, I don't see any of those things. I don't. I don't see any of them. Those things that I hate, that I don't even want to think about. I don't see it as I look at you right now. You know why? Because they're hidden in you. They're deep down inside. They are buried in you. And so when I look at you, I don't see those terrible things that you've done this morning. You know what I see? Just a bunch of beautiful people with beautiful smiling faces looking right back at me. See, that's what it means in a way. That's a faint picture of what it means to be in Christ. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He doesn't see your past mistakes. When God looks at you, he sees his son in whom he is well pleased and he is pleased in you because you are hidden in him. Do you remember what God said at the baptism of Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've remembered this story. You remember Jesus goes down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptized him. It says that a voice spoke and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How does God feel about his son? He is well pleased in him. And so what that means is that if you are in him, when God looks at you, he isn't annoyed. He, he isn't disappointed. He isn't ticked off. He is well pleased 
in you because when he sees you, he sees you in Christ. He sees the beauty, the perfection of his son, fulfilled all of the righteous requirements, and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Did you earn that? Did you deserve that? No. It's God's gift to you. That's what we mean when we use this word grace. That's grace. See, it's why the gospel is such good news. It's the message that God did for you what you could not do for yourself. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law in you. Not by you, in you. So, okay, let's move on to our next point. What difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? What difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? I have three things. Number one, the gospel changes your past. And actually, this is our text. Verses 1 through 4 talks about how the gospel changes your past. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4 is all about how the gospel changes your past. See, because Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements on your behalf and you are justified before God, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what that means is that you can let go of your past. Maybe there are things in your past that you are ashamed of, that you feel guilty about. Here's what you need to know. Jesus died for those sins, and as he died, he declared, it is finished. It's finished. You don't have to continue living in that way where your past is haunting you. You don't have to live with a constant sense of guilt and shame. You don't have to feel that you are less than because of things that you've done in the past. Your sins have been dealt with, They've been paid for in full, and it is finished. And what that means is that God is not going to hold those things over your head. He's not going to throw them in your face. It's done, and it's over. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here, you know what else this means? It means that even if I struggle, even if you struggle here and now, even if you fall sometimes back into those old habits that you want so badly to put behind you, Sometimes, though, you know, you fall back into the old patterns and behaviors. It means there is no condemnation for you either, for you who struggle if you are in Christ. Now, that's a radical truth, but remember, that's the context that Paul says this in. Remember, he was talking about in chapter 7, his struggle with hating the fact that he keeps falling back into those old ways, and yet he keeps doing it despite the fact that he hates it, and he speaks into that situation right now, and he says, even you who struggle, know this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says, verse 2, because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now you might ask the question, many people do. If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, well then what motivation will we have to try to live in a way that's pleasing to God? What motivation will we have to try and overcome sin and, and live a better life and live the life that God wants us to? Well, let me ask you this. What do you think is a greater motivation, fear or love? What causes people to do the craziest things that they would never do otherwise, fear or love? Love is the greater motivator. Which is the greater motivator, laws or relationships? Laws or relationships, the greater motivators, obviously, relationships. See, I have a relationship with my wife. If I sin against my wife, if I hurt her with my words or with my actions, I probably haven't broken any laws, right? So there's no legal repercussions. I'm not going to go to jail, nor will I cease to be her husband if I hurt her. Uh, you know, the law doesn't come into the matter at all. See, it's a matter of relationship. If I've sinned against my wife, I haven't necessarily broken the law. But what I have done is I've done something that's ultimately worse. What I've done is I've hurt this person whom I love. And so I might feel ashamed and I might feel disappointed, but the one thing I don't feel is condemned. Why? Because the law doesn't even come into play. I've sinned apart from the law. 
And see, that's what it means for us who are in Christ. If we sin, we're not condemned. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't cast us away. We don't lose our salvation or our standing before God. Now, we still feel devastated because we have hurt the one we love, the one who has loved us, the one who has done so much for us. It brings us pain. It brings us sorrow. But what it doesn't bring us is condemnation. See, love is a greater motivator than fear. Relationship is a greater motivator than the law. And we have the greatest love the world has ever known in Christ Jesus. Number two, the gospel. What difference does it make? Here's what it does. It transforms your present. So it changes your past and it transforms your present. So one of my first jobs, I worked at a snowboard shop. I was going to tell you which one, but I thought this might go on the radio, so I don't want to give them any bad press. Okay, so I love that job, but it was a seasonal job. You don't sell snowboards in the summer. And so this company, right, in the off-season, they sold patio furniture. And so in the winters, worked at the snowboard shop. And, uh, and in the summers, I would transition. I would work in their warehouse. And our job was to assemble and deliver patio furniture to the customers. You've been listening to Be Set Free the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.